Thanks so much for sharing that, Beck. Um, Y'all, you're on the home stretch. If you're at UCCS, you just have tomorrow, right? Thank God. Woo! <laughs> Praise the Lord. Already something to be thankful for. Um, and if you're at Pueblo or Pike Peak or Colorado Christian or maybe even somewhere else, you still only have, what, like a couple more days. Just get through these couple last days and then you get a little bit of a break for Thanksgiving. So... Um, guys, welcome. If I don't know you yet, I would love to. Um, like Elena said, my name is Amy Stapleton, and I'm one of the team leaders here for Southern Colorado Crew. And we have been talking about uh, how the Bible is one story that, and I think we have a slide too, but that even though it's, um, it's not just one book, it's 66 books written by about 40 different authors over the course of 1,500 years, <laughs> All these authors are from diverse backgrounds. Uh, some are educated, some are very uneducated. Isaiah was a prophet, Ezra was a priest, Matthew was a tax collector, John was a fisherman, Paul was a Pharisee, Moses was a shepherd, Luke was a doctor. <laughs> and even though it contains this myriad of different perspectives written over such a long period of time, that we're talking about how it all fits together and it's all one story, one unified story. Because what we know about the Bible is not just the human authors at work. It's God-breathed. It's God-inspired these human authors and breathed out books that we call Scripture. So we've been progressing from the story of creation to the fall. A couple weeks ago, Randy talked about how redemption was initiated through Abraham and his family. And then last week, Rebecca talked about how redemption was accomplished through Jesus and bringing the new covenant. And then tonight, we are at the point where we're going to talk about the mission of the church. And after Jesus died and rose again, he gave people a mission, a great task that so far is still unaccomplished. And it's the task of taking the good news of what he did for us and telling the world, taking it to all nations so that every single person on earth might have the opportunity to hear about God's love for them, about all that God did and gave up just so that he could know us, about forgiveness that we have in Christ, and about the invitation to be a part of God's family, that every single person on earth, all nations, would have the chance to hear that and respond. It's what we call the Great Commission. And I actually want to read for you where we find this in the Bible. It's, I think it's on the next slide. Sorry, I don't have a, you're my slide guy. Um, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gave this task to his disciples and really to, to all of us that he was leaving and he's put it in our hands. 
And it's a Herculean task. <laughs> like I said already, it remains unfinished. There's still quite a lot of work to be done. And what I want to talk about tonight is not just the task that Jesus gave us, how important it is, or why we should run after it. It's not just that Jesus gave us something to do. What I most want to talk about tonight is that he also gave us the power to do it. And, and the power that Jesus gave us isn't just a power. It's not like the force. It's a, it's a person. The Holy Spirit, who the Bible would have us understand, who actually lives inside each and every one of us who call ourselves Christians, that he dwells in us. And that he's empowering us to follow God and to share with others. Have y'all seen Avengers? By this point, everybody, right? Unless you really hate the Marvel movies, which I get. Most of us have seen Avengers. There's like a million of them too. I can't keep them straight. But strain your brain. Go back to that very first Avengers movie. There's a, there's a time in that movie where Loki the villain is trying to take over the whole world. He's in New York City. He's, he's got his army coming. And the Avengers have just assembled, and they're trying to kind of like take him on. But there's a problem. Iron Man doesn't have his suit, or his suit is low on power or something like that. And um, the very place that he needs to go to get his suit is the very place where Loki is. So even though without his suit, he's just a guy. Like an army of like aliens is about to come and invade and he's just a person without his suit. There's like literally nothing he can do without it. He's just a guy. And so even though it's dangerous to go towards Loki, he goes and confronts Loki because at the same time he's trying to grab that suit. And he gets like thrown out of a glass window and falls off the top of a skyscraper. But it's all okay and worth it because he gets, he gets his suit and it kind of like... Um, What's the, it deploys and he flies away, you know, he doesn't crush on the ground. And I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit is just like Iron Man's suit, not, not just like Iron Man's suit, doesn't make us invincible, it certainly doesn't make us fly around. Um, but man, Jesus would certainly have us believe that the Holy Spirit brings power that he actually told his disciples, when the Holy Spirit falls on you, it's gonna come with power from on high. And you will then be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all the earth. It's gonna come with power. So I'm okay with you having that Iron Man image in your head as long as you know it's, it's not a one-to-one. -one. The Holy Spirit really does give us power. But we're not like Tony Stark. He knew that he knew that he knew that he could do absolutely nothing without his suit. He knew that it was worth risking his life just to get it so that he could join the battle. We don't know that, do we? We, we constantly ignore and forget about the Holy Spirit. We ignore that he's the one who helps us follow God, and we ignore that he's the one who empowers us to share God with others.
And so tonight, I want you to stop ignoring him. I want you to stop ignoring him. And, and this talk is not fancy. Uh, what I want you to walk away with, I'll just throw it out here right now, it's that the Holy Spirit changes everything. The Holy Spirit changes everything. He empowers us to accomplish the mission that Jesus has given us. So stop, let's stop ignoring him. Let's stop forgetting about him. And let's stop trying to live this life for God in our own strength. If you get this, if you walk away really believing and understanding this, I am confident you will see the Holy Spirit start to transform things in your life in ways you never thought possible. And, and I think similarly, he can start to transform your ministry to others in ways that you never thought possible. This is vital. So let me pray for our time together tonight. God, we can do nothing without you. Thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit to dwell in us. We are not worthy of it. It's incredible that this is even real. This is one of those things that feels too good to be true. And yet you assure us that it is true, that you live with us and in us, that you're transforming our hearts, that you wanna transform our lives, and that we have access to the same power that, wrote, that, um, that helped raise Jesus from the dead. And so, God, would you help us to believe this today? Would you help us to recognize our need for your power, both in our own hearts and in our lives? Would you open our eyes to see wondrous things in your word? In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking about the ministry of the church, or the mission of the church and how the Holy Spirit empowers us to do it. And the mission of the church hasn't really changed. Like, in the Old Testament, you might have summed it up like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's the same today, to love God and love others by sharing the gospel with them. Because I'm convinced there's actually nothing more loving you could do for someone. We live in a culture today where it feels so itchy to share our faith with other people. I've been, I was talking recently with a couple of people who, though they live in America and, and actually might even be from here, that they've had enough interaction with other cultures that they're able to kind of just shine some light on things that are just true of us as Americans. And, and one of them said this, since being in America, I've actually learned uh, to, to mind your own business. <laughs> That's one of the things I've learned since being in America. And my other friend told me, you know, you guys are kind of strange. Like, nobody wants to, like, talk here. And definitely not about, like, real or important things. I mean, people don't even want, like, people actively avoid me when I'm in a store, let alone, like, want to come up and talk about something deep or meaningful. You guys are kind of strange in that way. 
And, and I, I know that that's true. And yet, I think the culture of the gospel is one that can actually help us to just break out of that if we depend on the Holy Spirit and if we take steps of faith. And so there's something, um, oh, like I said, the mission of the church is the same in the Old Testament as it is today, to love other people, share the gospel with them. But something really big is different. And, and that is that because we have the Holy Spirit now, we can actually do it. <laughs> we can actually do it. The Holy Spirit changes everything. It's my first, I only really have two points tonight. And the first one is this. The Holy Spirit changes everything about how we live for God. So in the Old Testament, even like Rebecca talked about last week, people, despite God's like seemingly best efforts to be like, I love you, I'll be your God, if you would just follow me, I'll bless you, here's who I am, here's what I want to do for you, here's what we could be like together. <laughs> Despite all of that, over and over and over and over, the people of God are just characterized by sin, by just constantly turning away from God and, and running after other things. They, I don't know whether to say they didn't or they wouldn't or they couldn't have the kind of relationship with God that he wanted until the Holy Spirit changed everything. And we're going to look at Ezekiel 36 together. And Randy actually shared this text a couple weeks ago, but it's one of those that I want to bring up again. It's one of those texts that if you aren't familiar with how the whole Bible fits together, it's one of the ones that really helps you put together the Old and New Testament and make sense of how God is moving the story of redemption forward. And a bit of context for this passage, it comes kind of at the, in the middle of like a rant. God is like, gosh, like here's all the ways you go astray. I, I just, I keep inviting and I keep asking and I keep offering and I keep rescuing. And you just keep turning away from me. You keep going astray. You keep running after idols, after gods that are deaf and blind, that can't do anything for you. And here's what God says after, after kind of this rant about how seemingly just frustrated, see, when we read it, it seems like frustration. He is with us. We might expect to hear that his wrath is coming, but we actually hear something really different. He says, yep. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So Ezekiel is, is way before Jesus even steps on the scene, before he's conceived, before any of that. And so this is God's plan. He's, he's in the midst of seeing how seemingly impossible it is for us to follow God, to follow him and to be with him in the way that he wants. And he says, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to be the one to do this in you 
and through you. I'm going to help you. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. And I will put my spirit in you. And he says, I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The Holy Spirit changes everything. God is giving us the power to know him and to love him in a way that is completely different from anything we really see in the Old Testament, from anything people probably thought was possible. And I want to ask you, if you're a Christian, do you believe that? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit changes everything? There's something big about this. There's a moment when Jesus is talking with his disciples and he's telling them, soon I'm going to go away. And his disciples are very sad and they're confused and they don't really know what's going on and, and they don't want to hear that Jesus is leaving them. But Jesus says, it's actually good that I go. It's better for you that I would go. Because if I go, the Holy Spirit is going to come to you. But like, how could anything be better than Jesus standing right here, <laughs> telling us what to do, telling us how to live, correcting and helping us? How could anything actually be better than his physical presence near us? Jesus said that it is better, that rather than having someone next to you, speaking and teaching and helping and correcting, that you get someone inside of you, prompting and convicting and guiding and transforming, transforming your very heart. Through the Holy Spirit, God does something in us that we could never do on our own. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, do you believe that? Do you believe that it's better to have the Holy Spirit than even then to stand next to Jesus. Judging by the disciples and their transformation that only happened after the Spirit came, we should absolutely be saying, yes, I believe that. They had Jesus next to them, teaching them, helping them, correcting them, rebuking them for three years. And it wasn't until the Spirit came that we saw their hearts actually transformed. And we're going to talk more about that later. But if you don't believe that, or if that feels hard to believe, or if this whole idea of having the Holy Spirit in you and trying to tap into his power is just completely foreign, that's okay, first of all. There's actually a book written about the Holy Spirit called The Forgotten God. <laughs> and it's for a reason. It's because we often forget about him. But it's also maybe a red flag that that you've been trying to do this whole thing, this whole Christian life, this whole living for God thing in your own strength, which is impossible. Um, I went on a summer mission to Ocean City when I was a student. It was the summer before my senior year. And it's a long mission. It's 10 weeks long, which is really good 
because you just go through so much transformation in the midst of those 10 weeks. And especially if you're like me, I, for the first like three weeks, I hated it there. <laughs> I like hated my life. There was, Ocean City is actually sort of like an island and there's this really long bridge that goes over the ocean and that's how you get there. And some people didn't have cars, but I had a car because I drove there. And I'm not joking, pretty much every single day for the first at least two weeks, maybe three, I would get in my car and I would look at that bridge and I would think, today's the day I'm going to drive over that bridge and I'm going to go home <laughs> and I'm not coming back. And I don't even know why I didn't, but I didn't, probably because it's such a long drive. <laughs> but I felt so out of place there. <laughs> when you're on Sarah Mission, I mean, it's awesome. Anyone who tells you about it, who went and got through the whole thing and actually stayed, will tell you that it's incredible. But you go and you're, you're hearing all this great teaching and you're doing all this cool stuff and you're with all these people who love the Lord and are trying to run after him. But I just felt so out of place because I felt so hostile to like everyone else on the mission. I still don't really know why. I, I was very antisocial. And I think it was because my heart just wasn't where everyone else's heart seemed to be. Like, I wasn't responding. I wasn't picking up what people were putting down. And I would go to spaces where I was hoping to be alone, and I would see people from summer mission there, and I would turn around and walk, walk out, get back in my car, and drive to a different coffee shop, hope farther away. And this continued until I learned about the Holy Spirit. At that point, I'd only been walking the Lord for maybe like a year and a half, and no one had ever really shared with me what the Holy Spirit's role in my life should look like. And here's what I learned in a nutshell about the Holy Spirit that was so life-changing. It's His job to transform my heart. It's my job to surrender and ask for help. I think that that's true. There's tension in the Bible. This is one of those gray areas, like how much of our job is walking with the Lord and how much is it his job working in us? But that's the way I've been comfortable summing it up. <laughs> it's his job to transform my heart. He can do things in my own heart that I could never do. And it's my job to surrender and ask for help. And so this is what this looked like for me. As soon as I learned that, in my head processing that, here's what it amounted to. So I just have to like recognize what's not okay and ask for his help. And if he doesn't do anything about it, then what, like that's on him? I still don't know if that's theologically exactly correct, but that what was that was what was really helpful in me thinking about it. Is in my in my little junior in college brain, I was just like, all right, then that's what I'll do. It's all on you, God. I will surrender and ask for help every time I catch myself feeling this kind of way towards other people. And we'll just see what happens. And I did that every day and multiple times a day, because I was feeling that way so often. And it only took like six or seven days. <laughs> and I was a different person. 
And the entire mission felt different. And I was all of a sudden like really excited to be around people and really loving everything I was learning. And I legitimately saw the Lord transform my heart through the Spirit just simply by my surrendering and asking for help consistently and trusting that he was going to work. And I think this is, if, I actually think this is one of the biggest deals in our Christian life. That if you think that it's all on you, you won't get very far. You will just experience one of two things, discouragement and guilt when you fail, or pride and arrogance when you do well. But you won't see real heart change happen. And so if I want to speak actually to anybody in the room who feels like discouraged, <laughs> who feels like walking with the Lord is just way harder than you ever thought it would be, who feels like, I can't do this anymore. Are you depending on the Holy Spirit to do it? Or are you thinking that it's all up to you? Because it's not. It's actually not your job to transform your own heart. You're trying to do something impossible. But I think, we, I think God invites us to trust him and invite him to work, to continually surrender with faith that he is going to work. And I truly believe that you will see him do incredible things in your own heart and life. I also just want to speak for a minute. I think this has a lot to do with someone. Maybe you're here and you aren't a Christian. You would say, I'm... I'm either not a Christian or I'm a Christian, sure, but I have all these areas in my life that I haven't quite surrendered to the Lord yet. And I'm not sure if it's worth it or I'm not sure if I can do it. This was one of the biggest obstacles for me coming to the Lord. As a sophomore in college, um, actually, Beck and sharing her story, my life looked very similar. And I had all these things that I, I started kind of seeing that I maybe didn't want them anymore or that maybe God had something better for me. But, but what kept me back and what held me back most of all was thinking, I do not have the strength <laughs> to like clean myself up well enough in order to come before the Lord and say, yeah, I want this. I want this relationship. I want your forgiveness. I want to be a child of God. I felt like I needed to take care of all this other stuff first in my own strength before I could come before God. And y'all, I had it totally backwards. You might think of uh, God and what he does for us as like going to a hospital. And that mindset that held me back for so long, that I think that is just as stupid as someone with a broken leg thinking they needed to like fix it all themselves, set it, cast it before they could go to the hospital. <laughs> this is what God does. That's his job. That's what he wants to do and delights in doing. And, and I really think only he can do that for us. And so we recognize that we're sinners and we can do absolutely nothing without God's help. And that even in salvation, even in the very moments of trying to move towards the Lord, 
the Bible would have us understand that his spirit is involved in that too. We think we're just moving towards him, but it's actually the spirit moving towards us that makes us want to move towards him. And so it doesn't make sense for us that even in coming to know the Lord, if we couldn't do that without the Spirit's help, how are we supposed to do anything else? How are we supposed to walk with the Lord without his help and power? Okay. This actually leads me to my second point. The Holy Spirit changes everything about how we reach others. So I just want to share two passages that kind of show us this. And the first one is in Acts 1. I think I have a slide for this. Yep. And so Acts 1, this, this moment right here, um, Jesus has already died and rose again, and he's talking to his disciples. So if you don't know the story, Jesus dies on the cross, he rises again. He shows himself to a lot of people, including many of his disciples. And then he ascends into heaven. And we're still waiting for him to return after our task is finished. And so in Acts 1 here, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's telling them to wait for something. So he says, while, he, while Jesus was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he's literally telling them, I know you probably want to go tell everyone that I'm alive. <laughs> Don't do anything right now. Wait. And the reason he tells them to wait is because they need first the Holy Spirit. They can't move. They can't move forward. They can't do anything without the Holy Spirit's power. And here's the crazy thing about this. This is Acts 1. And in Acts chapter 2, which we're not going to turn to, we see this actually happen. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples and they're in the midst of this big gathering. There's all these other people there. And it's dramatic. Like, it says that it comes like tongues of fire. And that it actually, it comes as tongues of fire and it gives them the power to speak in tongues so that everyone who's listening, they all are, they're there from all these different places around the world. They all speak different languages. And they can hear what they're saying in their own language so they can understand and hear about the wonders that God has done and what he's done through Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples and, and it changes everything. Like, think for me, think with me for a minute about what the disciples were like before this. If you've read the Bible at all or have, you know, read the Gospels maybe, you might have gotten a glimpse of this. They're faithful, but meek. <laughs> I mean, when Jesus is taken to the cross, they all flee. Only one of them even dares to follow, like, at a distance, hopefully not being seen. Peter denies Jesus three times. They're meek. They don't have power. They don't have influence. They don't have boldness. They're seeking wisdom. Like, they follow Jesus, and they're, they're trying to learn from him, but they're seeking wisdom, but they lack it. 
They don't even really know who he really is and what he came to do. Thomas doubts that Jesus even died and rose from the grave until he puts his hands in the holes of Jesus' hands. Only then does Thomas even believe that it's real. And so Jesus dies, he rises from the grave, he shows himself to them, but it's not until Acts 2 when the Spirit is given that we see real transformation. And like, it's insane. It's actually one of these things that um, I I think is real evidence that this is all true. (laughs) Because we see fishermen and tax collectors be transformed into these like bold, fearless leaders of the early church. Like we see people who'd been focused on their own greatness and status, people who were arguing in Jesus's presence about like, who's the greatest? Of, Of all of us who follow you, like, I'm, I'm like the greatest, right? Like that's where their mind was at. <laughs> we see those same people just run so completely hard after sharing the gospel with others despite persecution, despite beatings, and many of them end up martyred. Of the 12 disciples following Jesus, I think only one of them ends up not killed. These selfish, clueless men <laughs> become servants so that other people can know Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit gives power, but he also transforms our hearts to want the things that God wants. And that's something I want to draw to your attention too. I just want to ask you, maybe just to think about, is there something that you know that God really wants that your heart doesn't want at all? I mean, God tells us to go and share the gospel with other people. Are you sitting here like, yeah, I don't want to do that. That sounds like the last thing I would ever want to do. I don't have a vision for that. Maybe he's gifted other people to do that, not me. I, think, I, I really believe the Great Commission is meant for each and every one of us and that it won't ever be fulfilled if only a few gifted talkers take it on. It has to be all of us. And and the sweet thing about the Spirit's power is that when we bump up against something where it feels like, I know God wants this, but I'm over here and I don't want it, we get to surrender and ask for God's help. We get to say, God, transform my heart. Help me to want the things that you want. Help me to see why this is good. Help me to see how you can use me. I don't think you can. I'm totally unconvinced, but I trust that you could. The other passage that shows this is in Acts chapter 5. And I don't have it titled here, but that's my last slide. Yeah, sorry. It's Acts chapter 5. And a little context for this. Um, This is after Jesus' death, and he's already ascended. So he's gone. The Holy Spirit's come. And the apostles and disciples are just preaching the gospel everywhere, just telling everyone about him. And they get arrested. Uh, There's all sorts of reasons they get arrested. Um... We don't need to talk about why, but basically they almost get killed and then someone stands up and says, you might want to have some caution because if this really is from God, if this movement movement truly is from God, you won't be able to squash it. You won't be able to put it down and you might even be found opposing God. So don't kill them. And so they say, okay. So instead they have them beaten 
So it says, after they called in the apostles and had them flogged, that's what that means, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they released them. And then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Isn't that crazy? Y'all, I don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation where someone might think I'm a little strange. To be honest, even now, on staff with crew for almost 10 years, that still sometimes holds me back. That's the biggest obstacle. I don't want this person to think less of me. I don't want this person to think I'm weirdo. It's not normal to walk up to someone and talk about deep things. We're all supposed to mind our own business. But y'all, these people, they were beaten and flogged. They almost died, and they leave rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that kind of boldness and that kind of heart transformation taking place in your own heart and life? And our obstacles are not the same, but could you imagine the Holy Spirit doing such a transformation in your own heart that even as you step out in faith and have a conversation and you feel like somebody really doesn't respond well or tells you all the reasons why you're wrong or thinks that you're strange, (laughs) that you would walk away saying, yes, I've been counted worthy to be treated shamefully for the sake of God's name. I've been counted worthy to be treated shamefully for the sake of God's name. That's a beautiful thing, and that's what I'm meant to do. And that's the only way that this task will ever be fulfilled. That's the only way. I love sharing the gospel. I think there are such good ways to do it. And by the way, if you are interested and you've never done it before, there, me and every other staff member and pretty much every disciple maker in here knows how to do that. And it's not as weird as you think. It's very based on asking other people questions. It's actually kind of fun. But at the end of the day, I cannot teach you how to share the gospel in a way that will never result in someone being like, what a weirdo. It's not possible. We have to do it anyway, trusting that God is going to use us and that even if the worst should happen, yeah, I've been counted worthy to be treated shamefully for the sake of God's name. So is this kind of boldness in your life and ministry if you are a Christian? And if not, I want to give you a very practical challenge. If you know any person here on staff or any person here who leads a community group, I want you to to just walk up to them tonight or maybe shoot them a text later on and say, can you teach me how to do that? That's it. That's your challenge. And if you're here tonight and you're not a believer, I just want to invite you to think about the kind of power you're being offered. This, the offer is forgiveness 
and righteousness, that God would look at you and not just see a clean slate, but see the righteousness of Christ. And that you're not the one who has to clean yourself up before him. You don't have to make everything go away. You don't have to tackle everything on your own. You just need to get to a point where you say, God, I need you, I want you. I have faith that you'll do this in me. That thing I feel like I can't let go of, I know that I can't, but I know that you can through me. So that's my invitation to y'all tonight. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much that you give us power and that for the sake of your name, we might be counted worthy to be treated shamefully. God, would you give us confidence and boldness and motivation to just reach out, to just take even just small little steps of faith if we've never done this before, to even just have a conversation with the person sitting next to us in class, to ask somebody, hey, sometime, I'd love to tell you about how God's changed my life. Hey, sometime, I'd love to know if you have any kind of spiritual background. Sometime, could we just grab coffee and talk about that? God, would you help us, and would you move us towards you, and would you give us faith that your Holy Spirit really does transform our lives and our hearts and can transform our ministry? In Jesus' name, amen.